You are listening to messages from Victory Outreach in the city of Whittier. We pray that you are inspired, challenged, and provoked to become all that God has called you to be. For daily insight, please log into victoryoutreachwhittier.org. Damascus Road is when the encounter took place. In Luke chapter 15, we have the prodigal son. From a party animal to a filthy animal. Ended up eating with pigs in a pig pen. The pig pen was the encounter. Amen. But he comes to his senses and he returns back to his father. Then we have Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. In prayer, in prayer, he's looking for a, another way. He's looking for a way out. When he's praying, the Bible says, and like drops of blood, sweat, like drops of blood. At that point in time, he had the weight of the past, present, and future sins of the world upon him. At that moment, come on, somebody. How many know he had a good intercessory prayer team working with him? No, he didn't. The pastoral staff was asleep. And the Jesus was praying by himself. Leaders got to pray. Come on, somebody. Leaders got to pray. So Jesus is praying by himself, and he says, you know, Father, if, uh, if this cup, if the, if the cross, if it could pass, and he was God in the flesh, so he was feeling it. And then he came to his senses and said, you know what? It's not, I, not my will, but thy will be done. Someone say amen. So in prayer, he's looking for another way, but he realizes that he is the way. He is the truth, and he is the life. For a moment, I want to talk to you about encounters. At certain times in our lives, we have an encounter with God. Saul of Tarsus had an encounter and was saved, changed his life. The prodigal son was already blessed, if you will, in his father's house and took his inheritance and went and squandered it. And he had an encounter with God. And that's why the Bible says that God is married to the backslider. Then Jesus in his ministry has an encounter with the Father. So you're going to have encounters at different seasons and different places in your life. At certain times in our lives, we have an encounter with God for the sole purpose of being enlightened, of being enlightened by the Holy Spirit. The encounter with God is the what? The divine enlightenment is the why. Enlighten means to give clear instruction. It means to enable to see or comprehend truth. I want you to work with me on this. The definition says to enable to see or comprehend truth. Jesus is the truth. So there's different times in your life that Jesus wants to show you a different part of who he is because he's not really concerned with where you are. He's more concerned with where he's trying to get you to go. So he'll show you a little something that you haven't seen before. I'll give you a quick illustration. Joshua, and they, they get into the promised land, and they start battling it out, and they, he faces the wall of Jericho, and there is a fortified city, amen, with a strategic army that's been tested. And he turns around, and he looks at what he has. And basically, he has a bunch of young men that have never been to war. And so he does what great leaders do. He fell on his face and began to pray. He needed divine intervention. So as he's praying... The Bible says that the angel of the army of the, 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 the Lord of hosts shows up. And basically it's a warrior dressed in military attire with a sword drawn. 
And Joshua looks up and he says, he didn't recognize him. Watch this. He didn't recognize him. That was the Lord. You know why he didn't recognize him? Because in chapter 1, God had to comfort him. He had to console him. He had to encourage him. Someone say amen. He had to say that, listen, I'm going to be with you like I was with Moses. So when God showed up at that point in time in the life of Joshua, he was an encourager. He was there to, just, to give Joshua some hope. Over here, watch this. Joshua didn't need encouragement. Amen. He needed a military, are you hearing me? Military intervention. And so Joshua looks up and he says, are you for us or are you against us? And I love what God says. Neither one. I'm here to take over. That's a good God. Someone say amen. So God will always show you a little something different of who. That's why you got to grow. That's why you got to change. That's why you got to let God move in your life and take you from where you are to where he's called you to be. There's so much more that God has for your lives. Don't be satisfied with what he's given you. Don't be satisfied with who he has. Watch this. Who he's been in your life so far. God's got so much more. We're in the last days. God wants to empty himself of himself. Watch this, amen, so that we can reflect the Father in these last days, that they wouldn't see us, but they would see the Father. Are you hearing me? So uh, enlightenment means to, to enable to see or comprehend truth. Jesus is the truth, amen. It also means to instruct. It means to illuminate. I'm talking about, listen, when you have an encounter with God, there's a reason. There's a reason why God is encountering you. Come on, somebody, amen. When you, were, when you were lost and bound, he showed up and he destroyed the yoke of bond and he set you free. He wanted you to see how bad he was from the get-go when he came and did something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. And he won you over. But time goes on and God wants to show you more and more and more of who he is. That's why you can't get stuck in your Christianity. That's why you can't just be saved and sober. Are you hearing me? He wants to enlighten. He wants to give you a little bit of a clear understanding as to the, the plan and the purpose that he has for you. So the, another definition is to instruct. Another one is to illuminate. That means to decorate with light. That's what he wants to do with you. Come on, see that tree? That tree ain't got nothing on you in the spirit. He, he wants to illuminate you. He wants your light to so shine before men that it might glorify the Father who's in heaven. So to illuminate means to decorate with light. Watch this. It means to make illustrious. Come on, somebody. Amen. And the last one you're really going to like. The reason he enlightens you is because he wants to free you from ignorance. In other words, he wants to destroy all your excuses from the past, present, and future to free you from ignorance. This is what scares me because no longer are we ignorant. We're okay with being disobedient and rebellious because we know what we ought but are we doing what we, somebody say amen. Through these encounters, God wanted to reveal a deeper sense of purpose and shine light. Come on, somebody, shine light on you and your destiny. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 4, and I'm sure they're on the screens, David is anointed king of Judah. In the next few chapters, David faces some challenges to somewhat establish his kingship. There's mixed loyalties in the camp. Half of the people are loyal to King Saul, and the other half are loyal to David. Someone say amen. So David experienced politics in the church. Some followers are still loyal to King Saul, meaning there was politics in the camp. King David engaged, watch this, in some battles, and his ministry begins to grow. 
Now, three chapters later, in chapter 5, verse 3, the Bible says, And the elders anoint David king over all of Israel. So he first got anointed for king of Judah. Come on, somebody, amen. But then his ministry grew, and the elders come. And now he's anointed to be king over Israel. Now, why? I know he was anointed when he was 15, but he didn't step into the office for 15 years. So when God anoints you to be a pastor, and go back to the children's ministry. He's still got some more work to do in your life. Or God calls you to be a pastor, you might want to make sure you uh, graduate the home first. 15 years had gone by. Are you hearing me? So the Bible says in chapter 5, verse 3, And the elders anointed David king over all of Israel. King David now embraces a deeper understanding and a greater responsibility pertaining to his calling. David was a man after God's own heart, and in his pursuit of God, a dependency on God was birthed. As David established his kingship in Israel, God wants to expand his kingship on the earth. Someone say amen. Now in chapter 6, verse 2, amen, and it should be on your screens. In chapter 6, verse 2, the Bible says, And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. Someone say amen. Now the ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant looks like this. And the two angels on top are called cherubim. Someone say cherubim. And it is said that the Ten Commandments are in there and what happened under Saul, the presence of God was really never pursued. So it wasn't a value. So when the army of Israel went out to fight, the Philistines stole what wasn't valued. Now, this is the cherubim. This actually symbolizes the presence of God, the power of God, the blessings of God. Some scholars believe that there was a blue flame that hovered between the two wings, representing the power of God, the blessing of God, and the presence. Someone say amen. So David knows at this point in time, I have a big responsibility. I can't do it without God. Are you hearing me? So he pursues it, and he gets the ark, and he brings it back. Someone say, he brings it back. Now, the people of God lost the presence of God in the battle. That could be one of the characteristics of the church today. Is that when we get in our battles, the enemy comes and steals your prayer life. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Satan smart. He doesn't steal things that are not valuable. Are you hearing me? So we have this tendency to, to somewhat lose the presence of God in our battles. See, your prayer life, watch this. Satan only steals what's valuable. So the enemy steals God's presence in your process. He steals God's presence in your process. The process is meaning the growing, the changing, the, the moaning and the growing. Come on, somebody, amen. It's when you're going through your go-through. Trial, sickness, somehow, someway, through the filter of God's love, God has allowed something to come upon you, and you find yourself in a challenging situation. And there's no doubt in my mind at the beginning of that, you're probably pressed and you're probably pushed. But over a period of time, 
I'm not too sure the presence of God is pursued like it should be during that season within our lives. So the enemy steals God's presence in your process. He's trying to deny you of your deeper sense of purpose. You see, your process is really your pregnancy in disguise because God wanted to birth something new in your life. But I got good news today. You're going to get your groove back. Someone say amen. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm getting my groove back. Because David pursued the ark of God, the presence of God, basically saying, God, I need more of you. God says, good, because I need more of you. So now in chapter 7, verse 5, come on, somebody. Today we're going to walk through the word. Chapter 7, verse 5. Come on, somebody. Amen. the Lord comes and he, he, he's got a prophet. And the prophet's name is Nathan. So, so God instructs Nathan the prophet to ask King David, would you build a house for me to dwell in? Would you build a temple for me to dwell in? In other words, David, I've called you to conquer and to win the world, but I'm also going to bring the world to me. Are you hearing me? And we see that takes place that when Solomon actually built the temple, the queen of Sheba came. Commentaries say she traveled for nine and a half months to bring a $4 million gift and to have a few questions answered. Someone say amen. So not only was David going to go out and conquer, come on somebody, amen, but that the entire world was going to come and see what the Lord was trying to build. Are you hearing me? So we need a place, so the basically the Lord is saying this, so we need a place of operation, a place of operation, a place of operation. Someone say a base. So we need a place of operation. We need a base to train and launch out, but it also needs to be a place, a temple of exaltation, salvation, restoration, and impartation. Someone say amen. So verse 5 could actually be translated as, are you willing to build a base for me to glorify me? King David, the leader, King David, the leader, obeys the challenge to build a base. Obedience always precedes opportunity. Someone say opportunity. Look to your neighbor and say, it's your time. Look to your other neighbor and say, it's been your time. Opportunity number one, watch this. If King David, the leader, wasn't willing to build a base, there would have never been a need for mighty men of valor. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verses 23 to 27, and I did the math, it numbers 240,839 men who had the opportunity to become mighty men of valor and took it because one man was willing to build a base. So a base builder creates opportunity for everyone. A base builder creates opportunity for everyone. One man who took advantage of the opportunity, and we're going to talk about one man, because I don't have time to talk about the other 240,838 men this morning. One man who took advantage of the opportunity to be a base builder 
was a man by the name of Shammah. Someone say Shammah. And in 2 Samuel chapter 23, we want to read verses 11 and 12. Someone say amen. And the Bible says, After him was Shammah, the son of Aji, the Herorite. The Philistines had gathered together. Now, why? every time you hear the Philistines in the Bible, the Philistines were always in between God's people and their destiny. So when we talk about the Philistines, you got Philistines in your life, we got Philistines. Come on, somebody, amen. The Philistines are always representing what's between you and a greater sense of purpose, what's between you and your destiny. Someone say amen. So after him was Shammah, the son of Aji the Herorite, the Philistines had gathered together into a troop. Now a troop is defined as a great number of soldiers. The Philistines gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people, so the people fled. All the soldiers fled. So the people fled from the Philistines. But he, someone say Shammah. Come on, someone say Shammah. But he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory that day. Someone say amen. Shammah took advantage of the opportunity. Shammah uh, stationed himself in the middle of a field. Some of your Bibles say in the middle of some land. Some of your Bibles say it's a vegetable field. And some of your Bibles say open country. Nonetheless, he stationed himself in the middle of an open field. And while the soldiers fled, come on somebody, amen. You need to learn how to stand. Be immovable, steadfast, and always abounding in the ways of the Lord. Shammah stood in spite of everybody running. Shammah stood in the midst of being the only one left to fight the enemy. Someone say amen. So while the soldiers fled, Shammah stood his ground. Not only did he stand his ground, but he defended it. Watch this, amen. He defended what he stood on and he defended what he stood for. What did he stand on? He was standing on the promises of God. He was standing on the plan of God. He was standing on the purposes of God. Why? Because he stood on the principle of prayer. He stood on the principle of prayer. Someone say amen. Now because he was a man of prayer, amen, he was submitted to leadership. He was submitted to leadership, therefore he became a godly servant. And if you're submitted to leadership and you're a godly servant, amen, then you value stewardship. Meaning that everything you have belongs to the Lord. He's just allowed you to manage that which belongs to somebody else. And the Bible tells me, who can find a faithful steward? I'll take it a step further. Who can find a fruitful steward? Fruit, proof that the Spirit of God is doing something in your life because the Holy Spirit is the producer of the fruit. And we thank God for your faithfulness, but we need fruit, and we need fruit that remains. Someone say amen. amen. Proof that the Holy Spirit, come on, somebody, proof that you're in your word, proof that you're on your knees, proof that you're a man of worship, proof that you're a woman of God. Someone say amen. That's what he stood on. What did he stand for? The vision, the values, and the principles of our ministry. Are you hearing me? And the Bible says, and he killed the Philistines. Now watch this. Amen. I'm getting ahead of myself. Amen. Why was this so significant? Why did God put this story right here in the middle of 2 Samuel? 
the Bible says Shammah the Herahite. Herahite means mountaineer. Shammah was born in the mountains. He was raised in the mountains. He lived in the mountains. Amen. Shammah took advantage of an opportunity that demanded he get out of his comfort zone and step into the unfamiliar. This thing on? Are you catching what I'm saying? The opportunity, because he was connected to a base builder, and anytime you're connected to a base builder, amen, it opens up the door for opportunity. He could have stayed in the mountains, but he chose not to. The door of opportunity came, and so he went, and he found himself with the men of God. In the midst of being with the men of God, he found himself in the middle of an open country, unfamiliar territory. It's not where you are. It's who you are. And everything that was inside of him that he learned in the mountains, watch this, amen, on the mountaintop, intimacy with God, prayer with God. Why was he able to stand in the middle of the field and defend him? Because he had fortitude from God. He had a relationship with God. He knew that it wasn't him anyways. He knew that it was the God Almighty. It was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. And that if God was going to be with his forefathers, then that same God would help me win a great battle today. Someone say amen. Now I think about this. I think about a, a man like Shammah up in the mountains. He, he's born in the mountains. He lives in the mountains. All he knows are the mountains, amen. And now he finds himself in the middle of an open field. And you got to be in the story. The story. He's, he's getting down, man. He's like killing folks, man. He, he's tearing it up. In his mind, he said, oh, thank God for a base builder. Thank God for the opportunity to come on down. I would have been left in the mountains, amen, but because of the opportunity. Now watch this. It's not even the opportunity. It's responding to the opportunity. It's being sold out for the opportunity. Somebody say amen. I can just imagine how blessed he was. Oh, thank you, Jesus, amen, for the opportunity to get up out of the mountains and, and come down here in the valley and get down. Come on, somebody, amen, engage the enemy. He never would have been a mighty man of valor if he didn't get out of the unfamiliar. He never would have been a mighty man of valor if he had just stayed uh, on a mountaintop. But he came down into the valley where people get down and get dirty. Come on, somebody, amen. Gang, when you come down from the mountaintop, you better be ready. Better be ready to get down and get dirty. You think the devil's going to roll over and let you stay anointed and try to win the world? He ain't having it. You got to come down from the mountaintop and you got to gird up. You got to gird up. You got to put everything that you learned up there into practice. Come on, somebody, amen. Wisdom is knowledge applied. So everything you learn, if you don't apply it, you ain't wise. You're a know-it-all but limited on the do-anything side of it. Someone say amen. Are you guys with me this morning? Shammah took advantage of an opportunity that demanded he get out of his comfort zone and step into unfamiliar territory. I dare you to open a life group. I dare you to go upstairs in a children's ministry. I dare you to go into a D home. I, I double dare you to start tithing. I dare you to get on a worship team. The opportunities are endless. The end of that verse in verse 12, the Bible says, so the Lord brought about a great victory. I'm going to show you that you are on the verge of what could be one of your greatest victories ever 
in your life. Someone say amen. Going back to chapter 7, verse 5. Prophet anointed by the Father asked David, Would you build a house for me? That word build in its original context is banah, B-A-N-A-H. Watch this. It means to construct. It means to set up. It means to obtain children or to build a family. The picture is that banah is the root of ben. Someone say ben. Like ben Jamin. It's son of Hamin. Are you hearing me? Benjamin, the son of Hamin. So, so Ben is the son. Banim is plural, which means children. This statement in this context suggests that the sons or daughters are the builders or the building blocks of future generations. That's why you're in the D-home. Are you hearing me? The prophecy started in verse 5, and the Lord asked David, the leader, would you build a house for me? The prophecy ends in verse 11, and the prophet tells David, also the Lord tells you that he will, he will make you a house. Now, the original context for that word house is bayit, B-A-Y-I-T, and it means family. It means royal dynasty. It means that your children should be kings and queens. That's the royal. Dynasty means a succession of rulers who belong to the same family. Are you hearing me? God is saying, if you would, then I will. How's your family today? How are your sons? How are your daughters? Talks about the family. How are your brothers? How are your sisters? Gang, how's your mom? How's your dad? How's your aunts? How are your uncle, brothers? Women's home, men's home. How's your family? Could, could, could you maybe push a little harder? Could, could you maybe press a little further? Not only did King David say yes, but he gave all his money. Now, I'm not naive. The reason I brought this out is because King David didn't build the temple. Solomon did. Someone say Amen. His son. So the scripture actually proves that the Holy Spirit was trying to convey to David, amen. And I'm sure he didn't get it until the Lord told him, you ain't going to build it. You shed too much blood. Solomon's going to build it. And then look at his love for his son. As soon as he found out his son, he said, oh, man, everybody, everybody started giving hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then he gives hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then he goes into his personal account. You know, the one that only you know about? And he emptied it out. He gave everything. Someone say amen. Are you catching it this morning? 
It, it reminds me of a, you, 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 oh, now watch this. Let's go, let's go a little step further. Someone say Solomon. Solomon. Okay. Now, do you remember in Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, two blind men? And they yell out, Son of David, have mercy. Jesus came out of the bloodline of David. Come on, somebody, amen. Is that not royalty? I, I, I think of a story that I heard of this lady. I think, I think she was on the East Coast. Woman of God praying and praying. Her son got busted. He was a heroin addict and got busted and went to prison, got out. Got busted, went to prison and got out. Got busted, went to prison and got out. I guarantee you that lady in her wildest dreams never thought that her son was going to be the founder of the greatest movement in the history of the world. There's no doubt in my mind she had no idea. All she knew was God, and all she knew was the promises of God, and I bet you she was the base builder. Because you can't pray like that and stay at home. Someone say amen. In her wildest dreams, I'm coming in for a landing. You guys can show maybe a, a Nehemiah up there. Do you have it? Amen. Praise the Lord. Nehemiah said yes. Remember? Nehemiah was in the, in the palace. Company payroll. Has own little suite. Right? Perfect wardrobe. Amen. Used to dine with the king. Actually, he dined before the king. Just to make sure that when the king dined, he didn't die. But he said yes, the opportunity came, and he said yes, he left his comfort zone, someone say amen, and he went to build it. Now, now here's the ironic thing. Look at these, look at these, these are the builders of the wall. And the sons, someone say the sons. The, uh, in, in a nutshell, the sons built the wall. Also, the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with its bolts and bars. Next verse. Come on, somebody, amen. Pretend I'm Pastor Joe. If you go to the next verse, bottom line is this. I have it on my notes. 32 verses of all the sons' names were the builders of the wall. Nehemiah was the leader, and he said yes to build. And so it created space for opportunity, and all the sons were able to build. Are you catching what I'm saying? We got to build something. Our children, our aunts, our uncles. Come on, somebody. Amen. Your moms and dads are hoping you buy into being a base builder. That you would create an opportunity for them to come in. Somebody say amen. Because the Bible tells us, amen, that the family will build. Amen. They will either build or they will be future building blocks. Somebody say amen. Nehemiah said yes in the entire chapter of 3. Amen. 32 verses. Amen. The sons rebuilt the wall. That's why the definition, banin, children, suggests that the sons or daughters are the builders or the building blocks of future generations. Doesn't that sound like Isaiah 54? Your descent. There will be nothing for them to inherit unless we build. Come on, somebody. We got to take this thing by storm. Someone say Amen. 
Has the enemy stolen God's presence in your process, in your challenge, in your situation? Because if there's no presence, there's no peace. There's no joy, especially in the hard times. That's why the Bible says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. See, the birthplace for miracles is in the adversity. See, we all go through adversity. But who are you in the process? What do you yield to in the process? It's amazing to me, and I get the same temptations you do. As soon as I start tripping, I ain't going to go to church. Drive all the way to Whittier, pass by 9,000 churches from my house to Whittier. Friday night service, are you kidding me? Traffic. In Southern California, you must be on drugs if you want to come on somebody. But immediately we, we, we start, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to go to life group. Why do, why, do, why do we immediately, we, we, we take it out on God in his house. And he's like, dang, I didn't do nothing, man. I'm over here, man. You over there, you over there playing handball with the devil. Come on, come on somebody, and you, and you start, I ain't going to die. See, what do you do in your, see, because the bottom line is this, none of us should be where we are. You, you got to understand the process. Watch this. When the process has intimacy, it becomes a pregnancy. God wants to birth something inside you that you've never been to cause you to do something you've never done. Watch this. Not for you, so that we can give him a glory that we have never given him before. Someone say amen. The process. Come on, amen. You're in the men's home. You live in the process. You're in an incubator. But that's the best place to be. You give me a person in the home that graduates the home in one year, I'd rather be with them than a person that's been in the church for five years and never been to home. This thing on? Hello. The process. Come on now, the holidays are here. Maybe you don't have the money you want. Maybe you're a little depressed. Guess what? Join the club. So what are you going to do? I'll probably be here at the parade passing out flyers to people I've never seen, to people I don't know, introducing them to a God who has been so faithful to me trying to get them to connect to the greatest ministry in the history of the world. Go back to your process. Watch this. Do we revert back to, I'm talking about the process. Here, here's what scares me. When, whenever the heat is turned up, what's inside you really comes out. So when the heat turns up and prayer doesn't come out, you scare me. Does that make sense? Because if we're in prayer and we're in our word, we're in submission to leadership and we're just kind of flowing in the things of God and then all of a sudden you, you hit a stumbling block, you, you hit, you, are you hearing me? You hit a barrier, amen, then bam, you get in a prayer and you pray on the fire of God. You get a hold of God, you read more, you get more flyers in your Bible, amen, because you mad at the devil. Oh, you gonna play like, and that's what amazes me. In the world we're like, would you, you, you talking to him. And then all of a sudden we get saved and the devil, You know why? Because in the physical, we can respond because it's no problem. You know why? Everybody does it. I remember a guy, when I was running the home, he said, man, Christianity is weak, homeboy. I said, really? From your week. You just got out of prison? 
there's all kinds, of, thousands of you are weak in there. What do you mean? It's packed out. Everybody's doing it. Can't be that hard. Look at the church. It's not packed out. Huh? Not that many. Because it's hard. Because you got to be spiritual. Because you got to deny your flesh. Because you got to pick up your cross. Because you got to do what you're told. Because you got to fall in love with Jesus. Because you got to realize that it's not about you, but it's about Christ that lives within you. Someone say amen. And sometimes when the heat gets turned up, we revert back. But what do we revert back? Is, is prayer a discipline? Is tithing a discipline? Is coming to church no matter what? Come on, somebody. We're not even in Denver. What do you mean by that? They got snow. What do we have? We're in a drought. Don't even rain. Are you, are you kind of, that's why you need to go to another country. You, I went to Nigeria, and you know what I discovered? United States of America, we're not a blessed nation. We're spoiled rotten. Spoiled rotten. Go listen, go, go to Cape, Cape Town. Go, go to certain parts of Cape Town. Go to, go, come on, go to the Philippines. Go somewhere. Someone say, nice Christmassy message, huh? Amen. I'm trying to make sure you're here for a few Christmases. Someone say Amen. So what am I saying this morning? What's it going to take to get you out of your comfort zone? Well, pastor, I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm already involved in ministry. Do you do ministry the way you want to do it, or do you do it the way you're... Well, I've been doing it like this for years. Maybe that's a problem. Pastor, I'm faithful. Praise the Lord. Keep it. We're looking for fruit. Someone say amen. So, so, so sometimes we do what we do and praise the Lord. Get on your knees, get broken. Unless the Lord builds the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of the how you do ministry. Someone say, see, because the bottom line is your family's counting on you. The inner cities of the world are counting on you. Someone say amen. Take a step of faith. What's holding you back this morning? What's holding you back this morning? The same thing that's holding you back this morning is the same thing that's been holding you back last year and the year before. It's time to be an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. In this world you will suffer trials and tribulation, but the Lord will say unto you, Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. The only way to get over is if you come under. That's surrendering. That's submitting to leadership. Someone say amen. That's surrendering and submitting to the cross each and every day of your life. Pick up your cross and follow me. Somebody say amen. amen. Let's all stand this morning. God asked King David if he would build him a base. And why, why did I, you know why another reason I chose King David? Yeah, he was a man after a God's own heart, but you know what else? He was a man of mistakes. He blew it, fell on his face, right? But then I love it. You read Psalms, huh? The Lord would tell him, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. In other words, not only will I forgive you, but then I will restore you. And I will restore you better than how you were when I first met you. Someone say amen. Don't take your Holy Spirit from 
a man that knew how to repent. I said, repent. I said, repent. I didn't say ask for forgiveness. Because the church today, we love to ask for forgiveness. Over and over and over, when we ought to ask for forgiveness once and then ask God to give us the strength and the power to repent, to turn. Metanoia, return. Uh, 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 metanoia means a change of thinking. Need a paradigm shift about certain things within our lives. How does that take place? By the reading of the word? Look at two aspects, prayer and the reading of the word. I, I don't want to get into it. Man. Prayer and the reading of the word. How much time do you spend on your phone? How much time do you spend watching TV? How much time do you spend connected to others and connected to the... We need change. We need to grow. It's spending time in the presence of the Lord. It's spending time in God's word. You mark your Bibles. But does your Bible mark you? We're, 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 this is Jubilee. Are you walking in the fullness of the blessings of Jubilee? If you're not, is it God's fault? This would be, man, I, I think of Shama standing right there. And he ain't dumb. He, he, he knows they're running this way. And he's like, wait, 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 man. The enemy's that way. You guys are. And then I, he took his eyes off of everybody and everything. And he just began to grit. And the God that he knew on the mountaintop was the God that gave him the victory in the valley. He understood the process. But he never would have had the opportunity to be a mighty man of valor unless his pastor said yes to building a base. When that one man said yes to building of the base, hundreds of thousands of men. I was going to get into a little bit with Ruth. Ruth was Victory Outreach. Come on, somebody. Where you go, where you die. Come oh, that's, a, that's a gang girl got out of the D home. Loyalty changing, growing, praying, worshiping, serving. All these attributes that make our founders and the elders men that we would lay down our lives for. Come on, lift up your hands and worship the Lord this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, worship Jesus. Just lift your hands and worship the Lord. Today is your day. Today is your day. The door of opportunity is open. And I don't know what's been holding you back, but God today is saying, listen, I have called you. I have appointed you. I have anointed you. I knew you while yet you were being formed in your mother's womb. I've got great things for you. I know the plans that I have for you, but God is saying the plans I have for you are my plans. Submit to my plan. Submit to the process. I will call and I will do great and mighty things within your life. It is your time. It's your season. Come on, lift up your hands and worship the Lord. God wants to save some of your family members. Somebody today, they're going to get saved in prison. They're going to get delivered. You're going to get a phone call. It's going to be a collect call. And you usually don't take it, but today, take that call and trust the Lord. Your family's counting on you to take it a little, little, little bit further. Press and push. Press and push. The Lord was saying to you, Pull me a little closer. Take me a little deeper. Come on, lift up your hands and worship Jesus.